James chapter 1. I want to deal with verse 12 because one of our numbers struggles with this verse and I won't share their identity, but they'll be appreciative that we cover this verse momentarily before we move into verse 19. So chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Now it does not say blessed is the man who is under trial. It doesn't say bless, there's no blessing in the trial. There's no blessing in the struggles and things that are thrown our way. It's just, there's, not, there's no blessing in it. But it says, blessed is the man who's steadfast, who understands this is, a, this is from the hand of God, and God is using this, and i got my eyes on God and not myself. Blessed is the man who undergirds under the load and carries that thing with, with God being his strength and life. Blessed is the man who remains doesn't run, doesn't get diverted, remains under trial. Doesn't run from trial, doesn't avoid trial, understands this is a part of life, and God has a purpose for it. You might not even know what it is in this life. It's okay. God is using it in our lives. That's all we need to know. Blessed is the man who is steadfast, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord prom has promised to those who love him. Now, is this a crown of life in the future in heaven? It's possible it is. I think it's something different. The crown there, don't think of it like a diadem with, with jewels and this beautiful thing. The crown of the first century Greek and Roman world was... was the crown of an athlete that was made out of leaves and twine and a very earthy type crown for the winning of the thing. I think a man under or woman under trial who perseveres and comes out of it by the grace of God has learned a secret that perhaps the rest of us haven't, that Christ is their very life. And because of that, deep dependence that you learn through the trial if you persevere, I think in this life you receive the crown of the display of his life. That's the crown. The crown has nothing to do with glorifying us. Is that Christ is seen as our life by all around us when we're crushed and broken by trial, and yet we reach out and Christ becomes our very life. God has a way of loosening us up of anything of this life and all we care about him. And in the end, we get a crown of life. And that crown of life isn't shiny and glowy. It's very earthy and natural and made of twigs and leaves because Christ dwells in a very common life like ours. I think that's the crown of life. Okay, let's move down to verse 19. James says this, Know this... Know this, not feel it, not experience. Know this, my beloved brothers. Now, a little hint into his writing style. Whenever he says, my brothers, and he says it a number of times, in chapter 2, verse 1, my brothers show no partiality. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 14, uh, what good is it, my brothers? And so this is transitory in nature. He's moving on to a new topic whenever he says, my brothers, my beloved brothers. Just a literary device of James, just to be familiar with that. 
Know this, my beloved brother, brothers. Let every person, I like that because it's not young, it's not old. Sometimes when folks get old, the tongue loosens up. And they say whatever they want to say. I don't know if it's because they're going to die soon and they just don't care. Or they've lost a little bit of restraint in the mind or whatever it is. But if you've ever bound an elderly person, none of you are elderly in here. Uh, but if you've ever been around an elderly person and they were inclined to say just about anything to the waitress, my, my poor mother would crawl under the table many times at restaurants my father got done with the waitress. And so every person, it says, no excuse, that includes little ones also to train them in this. Let every person be quick to hear, be fast to listen to people. The mark of any counselor, and by the way, we're all counselors from one time or another to somebody. The first mark of a good counselor is the ability to really, really listen. Not to shoot off the hip or shoot fast with a remedy. They really want to know what's going on because the only way you can prescribe the right medicine to people is to really, really listen to them. Be quick to listen to what they're not saying. Be quick to listen to how they're saying it. Be quick to listen to body language that you see. Be a perceptive person when you're dealing with someone else. Resist the temptation to think to the answer that you want to give them in the first three seconds of their statement to you. Really listen. It's amazing what you can hear if you really are quick to listen to them. By the way, give people eye contact when you listen to them. Don't look at your phone and check your emails. Look at them with the eyes. Don't look away. You ever been talking to someone and they kind of looked over your shoulder and looked back? What did you do? You looked back over your shoulder too. Because you wonder what possibly behind you could be more significant than what they're saying, what you're saying to them. And you want to know. Be quick to listen. Eye contact. Watch. Listen. Be quick to listen, to hear. Slow to speak. Now, that doesn't mean to speak slow. It means to resist the temptation to speak quickly to them about something. Okay? Doesn't mean to be slow of speech, although that's fine too. Moses was very slow of speech. In fact, when the Lord came and told him to go, he said, I can't talk well. And God said, I don't care what you can do or what you can't do. It's me that's going to do it. But, so be slow. Don't, don't fire off real fast. I've never been sorry for something I didn't say. I've been sorry for a lot of things I did say. You ever gone away from a situation and you wanted to say it and you didn't say it? And you think, thank God I didn't say it. Because you got new information about the situation you didn't know before. So think long and hard before this, the trap flies open. Okay? Notice, slow to anger. Now, it doesn't say never to be angry, okay? Because there's times to be angry. There's times to be angry at sin, to be angry with what sin does in people's lives, but not angry at people. 
There's times to be angry at the unrighteous and unjust acts of men. But be real slow at it. You ever been around with someone who just fires off on a temper really fast and you just never know what to say and not to say to... I mean, they're just like a, a city without a wall. You can, at least a little thing, you know how to start them off and you can do it like that. Notice, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, that's, a, that's, that's been a long verse for me for years, and that's a great comfort to me. Because I've often thought that I was angry at a situation, and that by my anger and righteousness, I could bring the justice of God down on somebody. You know, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, and he's going to use me to do that. Your anger doesn't work God's righteousness. It just doesn't. When you're angry, it's not the will of God, whatever you say or do. Unless it's a righteous indignation. And usually that's far and few between. Notice he goes on to say, uh, Therefore, put away, the Greek is to take off, like to take off clothes that don't belong to you or don't belong on you. If you were to knock me out with a drug, if you were to put something in a drink that I drank and I passed out, and then if, like some of you men may do, carry me off to a side room and dress me in a beautiful dress and put stockings and high heels on and come out and sit me in this chair, and you all were to sit in front of me waiting for me to wake up. What a wonderful thought that is. I promise you, once I come to bear and come to task and wake up, I will be stripping those clothes off, hoping there's something underneath those clothes. <laughs> filth and sin, because that's the word that's used there, put away, take off all filthiness. Those kind of clothes don't belong on you anymore. Take them off. Take them off. You used to wear them. You, they don't fit on you anymore. We won't cover the topic of clothes not fitting. I, I guess we could. Notice, and rampant wickedness. The word abundant. Take off the clothes. Don't even go near the clothes rack. The abundance of wickedness out there. Stay away. Put it off. Get away, James says. Practical advice. If you know you're weak on some particular temptation, stay away from it. Put yourself in the place you could be tempted. Put it off. Get away from it completely. Good advice. Good counsel wise. Notice it says, and receive with meekness, humility, the implanted, the engrafted, the King James says, word. Be humble when you hear the Bible preach that if it hits your particular sin or your particular area and the Spirit takes his beautiful finger and points it deep within your soul and you say, ouch, you're humble and that you will receive it. You will not resist it. If a brother or sister in Christ in love shares the word of God with you, in hard truth, but in loving spirit, in humility, receive it. I love the verse that says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Now when you share that hard truth, 
Share it with all the compassion and love that you possibly can share it with. But don't curve on the two-edged sword. Push it in. It is that person's only hope of repentance and seeing the situation from God's perspective. I can't tell you over the years how many times I've shared difficult truths with people, and most of them, not all, but most, have not reacted well. But here it says, with humility, listen to it, submit to it. Notice it's for the saving of your soul, able to deliver your soul. That doesn't mean you get saved again. It means you need to be delivered from flesh and carnality and sin. And as the Spirit of God uses God's Word to point those things out and you submit yourselves to that teaching, I'm going to tell you, there's a cleansing. There's a beautiful cleansing. There's a beautiful renewal. There's a beautiful freedom. And just like Lazarus came out of the tomb, more and more of those grave cloths begin to drop off of you. And you get more freedom and you get more liberty. And, okay, let's go on to the next verse. Look at verse 22. Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only. If you do so, it says, you deceive yourselves. You're living in a fool's paradise. It's not real. The reality of what you're listening and reading isn't playing out in your life. It's like having two different lives. You nod like a dog in the back windshield of when you hear truth, that's, yeah, that's truth, and then you walk right out and, and, and there's no acting upon it and you're deceiving yourself. Notice what the warning is in verse 23. And here begins one of James' most beautiful pictures. He's got a couple of them in the book. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, notice it says a doer of the word versus a hearer of the word. Two different stances. We're going to see, I think, what the difference is. It is the mind graph that you come to that makes a difference. But all of you hear the word preached tonight. Some of you are hearing it from a doer's perspective. Some of you are hearing it from a hearer's perspective. The, the mind graph that you bring to the open scripture and to Christ determines the effect. Notice it says in verse 23, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer. So the first topic is the hearer, not the doer. The hearer is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror or reflection. Now think of it. These are difficult verses to interpret, but I want to suggest something to you. The hearer, the hearer when he sees the Word of God, it's like he's looking into a mirror at himself. He judges what he hears out of the book by his own standards, what he sees in himself, what it will do for himself, and what he has to do in response to the word. In other words, when a hearer listens to the Bible, all they're looking for is how it affects me and what I have to do. The focus of that person is themselves. What sin do I have to forsake? How much prayer do I have to render? 
What is my life supposed to look like in category because I want to straighten it out. I'm looking at it in a mirror. I'm looking at myself in a mirror. All my perspective is me when I'm looking at the Scripture and what I have to do or not do or how it affects me or what I get out of it. A lot of people come to church just to hear the Bible taught and preach to see what God they can get out of God and get from Him. Notice, what's that person like? For he looks at himself. And the Bible's preached, taught, he reads it, he's looking at himself. And he goes away and at once forgets the sermon. He forgets what he is like. His whole focus in reading and studying and listening was himself. And so when he went away... It was just vapor into the air. Notice the other one. The other one is the doer of the word. They come with a whole different mindset. Their mindset is not themselves. They don't look into the mirror. Notice verse 24, 25. But the one who looks, where does he look? He looks into the perfect law. Now this law is not the law of Moses or the Ten Commandments or any Levitical law of the Old Testament. He looks into the perfect principle, the, the, the perfect law, that which actually works. He looks into grace. He looks at what God has done in the scripture and what God has promised. His looking is, now what I, is not what do I have to do. His looking is what has God done and how do I receive that? Notice verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, comma, which is the law of freedom, the law of liberty. When he's looking at the scripture, he's looking at what God has done and God has promised. A perfect example is John 17. Throughout the entire thing, here's this prayer of all that God has done in Christ and how Christ prays back to the Father. And it's all about oneness, and it's all about glory, and it's all about receiving love. It has nothing to do with the disciple of Christ. It has everything to do with what Christ has done for us, and through us, and in us. That is the perfect law of freedom and liberty. The hearer, the doer anyway, looks at that. Look at the results in verse 25. And he perseveres. He stays under watches being no here who forgets but he is a doer who acts he will be blessed in the outflow of grace in the doing of it